If you take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, look with me if you would in verse number 26. The Bible says in Matthew 26 verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful to be in your house tonight. And Lord, as your word has been read, Father, we just please ask that you would be still our hearts and minds to the cares of this world so that we could focus in on you, your word, and your will at this very moment. Lord, we do ask that you would be mindful of the need of salvation in this room. That if there is one here among us who does not know your Son as Savior, Father, that tonight your Holy Spirit would convict their heart and that they would get it settled before it's eternally too late. And for those of us that sit here as your children, Father, we just ask that you would gather us to the cross of Christ so that we might be better servants for you for our time here. In Jesus' name do I pray. Amen. We had a really wonderful Sunday school discussion time last Sunday. Uh, I didn't know Pastor was shifting his gears to the thought of prayer, and 
it seemed like as we were going around the table that me and Miss Laura Seitz was having our own little mini revival as we were talking about answered prayer and how wonderful it is. And, and, and I, I, it was hard not to hog all the time. I was really struggling with that. And I got to confess to the table one of the times in my life where the Lord had answered one of the, one of the most instantaneous needs and in prayer that I had ever had in my life. And I will not share that story with you, but uh, I will tell you, Miss Laura, that when I joined this church and I knew the date for the missions conference, I began praying that I would have an opportunity to preach the message that the Lord already laid on my heart. And it's preacher protocol. You never ask for a pulpit. Uh, you just don't do it. You never ask to preach. And so when pastor asked me if I could preach on the 18th of October, I said, uh-huh. I was... I was I was more than willing to do it, and I felt like God was answering my prayers once again. And that was the theme of our Sunday school discussion more than anything was the fact that it's, it's wonderful that God would answer your prayers, but the ability to tell people that God is answering your specific prayers and needs is, is really as good as it gets as a Christian. Because when you, when you can realize that the creator of the universe loves you enough to give you what you are beseeching him for, uh, according to the book of James, as long as it's according to his will. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing. And the Lord absolutely blessed me with that. And, and there's many reasons why. Uh, and those I will tell you here in just a short minute. I preached this message, it feels like a hundred times to my windshield, because I have not had this much time before a message in almost six years. And... You find here in this particular passage, a very well-known passage, you, you, you find two different groups of people. And I, I really love how the Bible, it's, very a, it's a polarizing book. It loves to separate people into groups for different circumstances. You have the wheat and the chaff, you have the sheep and the goats, you have the lost and the saved. Well, at this very moment in this particular passage, what you literally have is two groups of people, which doesn't really feel like two groups since one is alone, and, and these two groups are divided upon their ability to bow before God Almighty and pray that his will will be done. And if you understand the doctrine of the church, you can clearly see that this is not just all of the first church of Jerusalem, but it is their pastor, which is Jesus Christ. And you have the disciples, and then you have it even narrowed down into an even more narrow inner circle with, with Peter, James, and John. But all of them are separated into these two groups at this very important time, the time before Jesus is about to hang on the cross. And you even have Peter so brazenly saying the things that Peter said, Lord, I will never forsake thee, never forsake thee. And Jesus told him, in this passage, that before the crock would crow, he would deny him thrice. In Luke, you would find that he said, Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Another warning to this man. And even so, more to the point, you see this group being told time and time again that their time with Jesus is, is upon them. They're, it is about to be over. Jesus is going to die. He's going to be raised up, but their time with him is over, and they have one last night to do one of the most important things that any Christian could do, and that is just to pray before this catastrophic event is going to happen in their lives. See, we never really get the luxury of knowing 
what's coming our way. That's, that's just the honest truth. Uh, we don't. Which means the ability to pray is all the more important. In this particular circumstance, you would think for one second that this group of men who had been traveling with Jesus Christ for three years, raising the dead, healing the sick, curing people of blindness, sickness, and leprosy, you just can't even imagine the life that they lived for those three years. It would be, it's, it's unimaginable from my point of view as being a, a Christian to imagine what that would be like. And, and here they are being told time and time and time again that their time is up and that they need to be in an attitude of prayer, in a place of prayer, in the last place that Jesus gets to pray. And they don't take advantage of it. And it's heartbreaking when you think about the consequences of not praying. And I always enjoy this. I I mean, it's wonderful when you're preparing for a message about reading your Bible as a preacher. You know why? Because you you really have to tighten up your Bible reading before you get up there. And so since I've had like nine years to prepare for this message, what it feels like, I have been praying for what feels like forever in a much more consecrated manner And that's good. And and not only do I find myself praying, but I find Sunday school lessons about prayer and a lot of prayer themes coming up. And I just want you to understand that your prayer life is so important because we never truly understand what is going to happen, what is coming our way, and when we're legitimately going to need the divine power of God to be able to work through us at a moment of need. Uh, for instance, any time you've ever had an open door conversation with someone and you like really legitimately realize, hey, this person is interested in the gospel. This person is asking me questions about Jesus Christ or the saved life or, or how morality works in the Bible. And you just understand that God has given you this opportunity. And the time to pray for that is gone. Like, you don't, you don't have an opportunity to pray for that moment. And, and the question really would be, did you pray for it that morning? Did you pray for the the words to speak, the opportunity? And and, and I want you to understand that this is is nothing new to any of us. If I was to get up behind this pulpit, open my Bible and say, Hey, people, you should pray like it matters. Because you never know when it's going to matter. There's no one in this room that hasn't heard that before. And yet we all profoundly like to forget this in the morning when we wake up and go about our day that, that, that the most important thing that needs to be done is often the first thing that gets set aside. The first step to a backslidden condition. These men are approaching one of the biggest moments in their life. And they just cannot see it. And, and, and anyone who's read their Bibles, read the Gospels more than once or twice, you, you read this and you think to yourself, why, why is it they don't get it? And yet we are the exact same people all the time. We stand upon something to me is precious. And I'll explain why. Missions conferences to me are a big deal. They're a big deal. I haven't been able to attend a full missions conference in six years. That's kind of heartbreaking to think about it. 
the circumstances just wouldn't allow it. I've attended nights here or there, some revival meetings here or there, but I haven't gone to a missions conference at my church for the entirety of the experience in six years. And so my heart is thrilled with joy to know one's coming. And here's why. I was saved at the end of my first missions conference. 2008, October 19th. And it was special. I cannot imagine my life in any other way or form but from that moment on being what it is. And so missions conferences from there just took always a special light. So tomorrow is my salvation birthday. And then the very next year, the Lord called me to preach, and I surrendered to preach October 17th, 2009. So I'm literally right smack in the moment of these two dates in October that just mean the world to me. They just absolutely mean the world to me, and every one of them are revolved around missions conferences. I was struggling with my call to preach like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I, I struggled so hard with it. I, I had two defenses against it. The Lord began calling me, and, and I just couldn't believe for one second that he desired me to be a preacher of his word. And I told myself over and over again that I would starve to death if I became a preacher. And, and I want you to understand that, you know, when you're a carpenter, it's not exactly like you're Bill Gates or, or <laughs> any of these other guys. Who, you know, I'm not wallowing in money in any way or form, but you quickly realize very quickly that there's not... There hasn't been one red cent that hasn't entered into my pocket that God hasn't placed there. And so that thought really went away. And then, then I really told myself over and over again as I struggled with this call that God would never call a man to preach had only been saved for one year. He just wouldn't do it. God's not, God wouldn't do that to me. And then that year, a man came off the field from Germany named uh, Brother Jim Garrison. And he got up in front of my church and he gave his testimony about how God had called him to preach after he'd only been saved for one year. And it was like the Holy Spirit of God was like, hey, this is you. This is you. I don't care how long you've been saved. This is you. And, and, and throughout the years, before I, I left to try to start a, a church in the city of Joplin, every missions conference was just such a special deal to me. It was so precious. Like every missionary would get up and... and and they, they would give their missions field. It wouldn't matter if it's in the, the 1040 window or if it's down in Mexico or it's, no matter where it's. My heart, I, I wanted to go with every one of them. I, I really did. If, you're, if your heart yearns for it, uh, for the things of God, and you understand how hard of a mission field America is slowly becoming, that when they're going to like get on a plane and, and go somewhere and make it happen for God, it just, I just long for that. But I always believed that the Lord would never send me to foreign missions because... I'm down with it, but my wife is not, people. <laughs> and that's okay. It doesn't matter because my mission field has always been where I'm at. And, and every day that I go out and about is, is another opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, to invite them to church where they can hear the Word of God and, and just, just to experience the things that I've experienced. It's just a wonderful thing. And the only thing that facilitates this, I, I'm telling you people, this is a big deal, is whether or not I care enough about missions to pray for it. To just absolutely pray for it. You can tell yourself, man, it just feels like I haven't, 
I haven't had an opportunity to tell anyone. It feels like this area is so dry. It feels like everyone knows where this church is. My coworkers already know. They're working side by side with the preacher. There's just no opportunities, and that is just wrong. There's, there's nothing further from the truth. Does anyone in this room think that there's no more opportunities to share the very love of God through the blood of Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. None of us think that. But if we're not actively praying for opportunities, then, then maybe God just doesn't think it's a big deal to us. And so you have this group of people. There's some pretty spiritual people, I think. I mean, honestly, if you think about the qualifications of these guys, I mean, one of them literally walked on water. I've never walked on water. I sink, <laughs> like most of us do. And they just had an opportunity to do something here that would have been a great blessing, just to get down on their face. You know, you see... The other group doing what he always did, everything right. I often wondered what it would be like being one of Jesus' brothers growing up, knowing that you always could never do good enough with Jesus around. And here he is doing the exact thing that every one of us should be doing at this exact moment, And that's praying that the very will of God would be done despite the fact that his circumstances are grim. Jesus is really the only one who knew what was coming. But the thought of praying like he does in the Garden of Gethsemane is is, it's intense. I've had some pretty wonderful prayers in my life and I would love to have more prayers. But I'll just be honest, I never want to pray like Jesus did in Gethsemane because There's a reality to it that comes only at the side of a hospital bed or with a great need, great suffering and pain and sorrow. And every one of us, we want the faith that comes with that, but we don't want the circumstance that would drive us to our knees to be the absolute prayer warrior that we all could be if we just had a reason to pray like we're supposed to pray. And I really think that's my problem. I'm sure you guys are all so spiritual, you don't suffer from this. But maybe I forget that I have many reasons to pray and many reasons to seek God's will and many reasons that I should be on my face and many reasons that I should be just seeking the very will of God in my life for this moment and the moments to come that that maybe, just maybe, I should remember. I want you to understand there's a lot of circumstances that you, you don't really need to pray about. And, and, and when I say that after saying everything I said, you know, when you, you don't have to pray about some decisions you make. Uh, when, I, when I resigned from my pastorship uh, and you're left with two choices, really, you can, you can seek another church or you can join a church. And, and the Lord uh, absolutely just gave me peace about joining this church. And I didn't have to pray about what kind of a church member I was going to be when I joined this church. I've been an employee and an employer. 
And I've been an employee, then an employer, and then an employee afterwards. And I can tell you that it changes the way you think about employment and working for someone else after you've been the boss. And, and uh, that is a very real sentiment after being a pastor. When you step down from being a pastor, there's a lot of holes in your life that seem to be there and legitimately true and real that you have to deal with every day because the time that you're a pastor, every service is revolved around you and then that is gone. And then you're left with what? You're left with the choice about what kind of a church member you're going to be. You know, I didn't have to pray like Jesus Christ about what kind of a church member I was going to be. I made the conscious decision really quick that I was going to be the, literally the best church member I could possibly be. And if there's anything else I could do to prove that, then, then I will do so because that's, that's, that's the kind of Christian I've always thought I was. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret of my life. October 17, 2009, I surrendered to preach. It's always a big deal when a young man who may not have been that young at the time, just to be honest, uh, surrenders to preach at my church. This probably happens at this church. If one of these young men gets up and says, hey, the Lord's called me to preach, and I am surrendering my life to his will, what's probably going to happen is, is everyone's going to give a, a hoot and holler and amen. We're going to line up here. Everyone's going to shake their hands afterwards. And they did that at my church. Uh, but what none of the church knew is that was literally the first week that me and my wife had actually gotten on the church cleaning list. And so I always have this thought that never will leave my mind that on October 17th, I, I went before the church, I told them the Lord had called me to preach and I was surrendering to his will, I would follow it wherever it took me. And then after everyone got up and shook my hands and had this glory hallelujah moment where there's a lot of attention and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of glory that a man could revel in, but I was trying not to, everyone left the building and then I literally went down into the basement of the church and scrubbed the toilets. Which is a metaphor that's never left me, Pastor. It's never left me. You think for one second that your pastor isn't willing to scrub the toilets at this church, you'd be mistaken. Each and every one of us should have that same attitude. Just because it needs to be done. Are there things we should be praying about? Yes. But is this one of those things? Absolutely not. I want you to see something else in this passage that you can see clear as day is, is you literally have the very first pastor that ever lived, which was Jesus Christ, and, and, and his inner circle, his disciples, and then the inner inner circle of the three, and you see him praying alone in not the most alone feeling that Jesus had ever had. That came when he hung on the cross and he cried out, why have thou forsaken me, God? But this is, this is by far the second most alone that Jesus has ever felt in his entire life. I could guarantee it as he's just on his knees and he's praying like he's never prayed before. You think for one second that Jesus ever prayed like this before? And the answer is no, he never prayed like that. And if you could just imagine for one second what it would have felt like for Jesus Christ to be down there and to be praying and sweating as if drops of blood were coming out of his face and Peter had come up behind him and put a hand on his shoulder and said, can I pray with you, Jesus? you imagine the joy that would have, he would have felt to know that he was not alone at that moment? It's very somber when you think about how alone that feels. And he was a pastor. 
You know, you don't have to pray for the will of God to understand that it should be the goal of everyone in this church to make sure our pastor never feels that way, ever. Ever. Workday, visitation, choir, I mean, you name it. He should just never, never feel alone. He shouldn't have to feel he's alone. But if you're praying about what kind of a church member you should be, which you shouldn't have to, because if you prayed, what kind of church member should I be, God? God's going to tell you, you be the best church member you can be. And let your mind wander about just what that means. It means you serve. It means you work. It means you pray for people. It means you come and you sing as loud as you can. This is a tricky one, people. It means that you embrace visitors as they come in. You should cut people off to get to them. Shake their hands, make them feel welcome, sit with them. And it doesn't matter if they smell like cigarettes or if they smell like booze. I got to sit back there with a guy who was pretty lit up there about a month ago, and, and it was just a joy to sit with him. Why? Because Jesus came to save the lame, the poor, and the halt. But we like to minister to the yacht club. <laughs> But those people aren't going to get saved. Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle before some of these guys get saved. We're here to minister to the poor, the lame, and the halt. And that's just what being a good church member is all about. And so before we go into our missions conference, which I am so excited about, and if you have sat there for the last few weeks and have made the mistake of telling yourself that it's just another missions conference, then shame on you. Because I believe that this missions conference, the Lord is going to speak to the hearts of somebody in here and it's going to change their lives forever. I believe that it's possible that this missions conference, people are going to get saved. I believe that this missions conference will encourage me and your pastor and you if you'll let it. Now, there's many things we do in this life where we put a little preparation into it, and this should be one of those things because anything in our lives that we consider a big deal, we'll, we'll, we'll prepare for it. You don't see any guy going out hunting without doing some things to prepare for it. You don't see ladies going Black Friday shopping without preparing for it, even though most people don't go Black Friday shopping anymore. Cyber Monday is just around the corner, and you could do it from your couch. But it used to be Black Friday was like serious, like, you know, war paint and schedules and maps and like itineraries and grouping, like you would group up for this and you would go battle the masses so that you could get door prizes. Like you ladies are crazy. But you would prepare for that. You wouldn't have someone come over to your house, ladies, without cleaning the house and, and preparing the meal and always overmaking way too much food because you can't, you can't have too much food when there's company coming over, right? And so and you can't, you can't, you got to make sure there's always one thing that you have to do when someone comes over to your house, and that's make sure that they don't think anyone lives in this house when they get there. That's the goal, people. That's the goal. Well, I got seven kids, so there's, don't, don't sneak up on us, please. <laughs> Well, you prepare for that. 
Because it's a big deal when people come over. It's a big deal when you have company. It's a big deal when you get to go out hunting. It's a big deal when you get to go spend time with your family doing something fun. But you just don't do it haphazardly. You always prepare for it. Well, everything that I mentioned is, is good and fun and great, but it pales in comparison to what's going to happen at the end of this month. We're having a missions conference. We've got men who are coming in who are going to break the bread of life, bleed their heart and soul before us, and it's going to encourage us to do what we already know we're supposed to be doing, but we've come to a place of routine where we've stopped for some reason. I always get so excited, you know, the, the visitation after a missions conference is always the best. Why? Because I'm reminded of why I am doing what I'm doing and how big of a deal it is to do it. You know, Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And if he is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, then you should want to share that. With our Jerusalem, which is a really hard field. So you should just give up and stop doing it. Right? That's because it's tough. No. You should pray. Pray often. Pray hard. Pray that the Lord will use you in a great and mighty way. I want to challenge you to do something else, too, for this missions conference. And this is easy for me because I don't really know anybody. So I just picked someone, and I've been praying for them for the last three weeks every day. And I'm going to wait till after the missions conference, and I'm going to tell them that I've been praying for them. So pick someone who's not your BFF. Pick someone you don't message on Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media outlet you choose to use. Someone that you don't rub elbows with. And pray that God would just make this missions conference wonderfully special for them. You could get down at this altar and pray, God, who should I be praying for? You think for one second the creator of the universe won't put a name on your heart and say, I want you to pray for them. Because I know they're going to have a really rough week on missions conference. Because guess what? Everyone has a rough week come missions conference. Right? The devil is doing his deviling. And he's going to be trying to get everyone out of sword so that when you come here you'll be distracted, you'll be too tired, you'll be, you'll be, your mind will be all over the place and so that you can't think of the message. And guess what? If someone is praying for you for that time and that moment that the Lord would speak to your heart, he has a way of just calming the storm before the Bibles are open. And who knows? Afterwards, when you tell them you've been praying for them, you might just stir their hearts in a great way. If you choose to pray for me, I'll thank you in advance. Because you know what? I need it. And so do you. Each and every one of you. Each and every one of us needs a missions conference that is special. Am I the only one that wants a life-changing missions conference? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who's excited about this? Am I the only one who's praying that God will speak to me personally 
that he will encourage me, that he will guide me, that he will show me what his will is in my life. People, I'm a mess. For the last 15 years, I have been so focused on one thing alone, and that is gone, and I feel like I could just step off right here, and that's literally where it feels like, and I don't know what's going on. But you know what I do know? Is God is good, and he answers my prayers, and missions conferences are a big deal. They're a big deal. And if that is all you get out of tonight's message, then good. Because this missions conference is special to me. Six years, Miss Morocco, it's like forever. It's forever. And I can't wait. And I'm excited. I'm excited about the Bible handout ministry. I'll tell you something else, people. I told this to Laura at our Sunday school discussion table. I had been praying about activating that particular ministry and how to approach your pastor about it. And he came to me and asked me about getting it going. So I want you all to understand that we are literally about to start a ministry out of this church where those who have trouble getting around and door knocking are going to be able to sit in a lawn chair and have people come to them. And so if you're not coming to visitation because you've been struggling through, through the inability to get around and to walk four miles and to knock on 200 doors, this is the perfect opportunity for the soul winners who still love the Lord but are struggling to get around. Man, that's so exciting. And if you knew what I knew about these Bible handouts, you would be even more excited about it. We're, we're about to do that. And we're going to do that right before the missions conference. And if you could imagine what it would feel like if, as corporately this church would pray earnestly about that, if somebody gets saved that Saturday before we go into missions conference, I'm going to be running around here like my hair's on fire. And we all should too. That's, that's so exciting. It's so exciting. And we should just be praying for that. Just like Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. Is it still his will that people get saved? Yeah. Is it still his will that we be a vessel for that to happen? Amen. It is still his will that we are involved individually and as a church to be a part of the Great Commission that has never stopped and will not stop until the day he calls us home. That's his will. Do we need to be reminded of that? Yes! Of course we do. We need to be reminded of everything all the time. At least I do. You guys probably have it better together than me. I struggle. I struggle. And I'm reminded... And then I get on fire, and I'm reminded why I should struggle to do God's will. What did he tell his inner circle here? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh tells you you can't. The flesh tells you you're too tired. The flesh tells you that they'll reject you. The flesh tells you that it's not going to be received. The flesh tells you what? That somebody else can do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Someone else can do it. And then you missed the blessing that was going to fire you up and fuel you for the next three months. 
Does anyone like that blessing? I do. You know what's not going to happen? That blessing is not going to fall in your lap on your couch. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Otherwise, it would. And so tomorrow when you wake up, I just ask that you would pray for the missions conference. Pray intently, as passionately as you've ever prayed for it before. We have young folks, the age of salvation. They're just right there at that right time, people. Some that are just dear to my heart that need it desperately. This could be their missions conference. This could be the missions conference that someone gets called to preach. This could be the missions conference that someone who is called to preach gets some direction, some target-fixated mission work to be done. This could just be the missions conference that helps solidify and unify this church behind the Great Commission. If that was all that happened, I would consider that a great success. If the church is just reminded of its place in our Jerusalem, in this region, in this area. And so I'm going to ask the church if this missions conference isn't a big deal to you, then maybe you should just be praying tomorrow or tonight or right now that the Lord would make it a big deal for you. Because we don't want to be a part of the group who has this amazing event coming and isn't praying for the will of God to be done in it. I don't want to be a part of that group. I'd rather stand with Jesus, who's praying, not my will, but thine be done. 